Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to our Little Shop of Horrors mini-series on every version ever. As before, I'm joined by Nikki from Trivial Theater, and this time we're talking about the version that everyone is probably familiar with, the 1986 musical. 1986's Little Shop of Horrors, like the original film, is barely a horror movie. If it were a full-on horror movie, I don't think I'd enjoy it nearly as much. I've never really been much of a horror fan. I prefer to have fun while I'm watching movies, and that's exactly what this movie is. Yes, this film, like its predecessor, uses a lot of horror elements to tell its story. I mean, it's a movie about a man-eating plant, after all. But beyond the death and dismemberment, off-screen of course, this movie is just so much fun. From the memorable characters played by the likes of Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, and Steve Martin, to the amazing songs of Sticking Your Head in the Best Way, to the jaw-dropping special effects, Audrey 2 is like one of the most realistic, lifelike creatures I've ever seen on screen, and the puppetry that went into that monster's plant puts the best CGI of today to shame. Everything about this movie is endlessly rewatchable for me, and if you know me, that's one of the biggest factors in how much I like a movie. I love this one. This one starts with, it seems like it's going to be like a narrator, and then the narrator just doesn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, does the whole Star Wars crawl, too. Yeah, I wonder if that was something that they were making a reference to. I don't know. But the voiceover seemed like it might be an ongoing presence, and then it was only at the beginning, and you never heard <laughs> them again. Well, you know, you had the, the Greek chorus type to kind of fill in for the rest of it, but yeah. yeah. When they came on in my notes, I just put, like, are they the real narrators? Because <laughs> they kind of are. Oh, totally. Well, they're part of the story, but then they kind of switch up garb and then go totally uh, totally otherwise. So, Yeah, they're, like, in and out of the actual story. They, they, they kind of just break the fourth wall all the time. Oh, yeah. The music, though. Oh, my God. I love every time they come on. I was so excited because yeah. every single song is incredible. I, I love the music in this. There, It's... It's all great. Oh yeah, well they're actually named because they're it's Renette, um, Chiffon, and Crystal, and it's actually named for um, all like groups in the '60s. Okay. You got uh, '50s and '60s girl groups: the Renette, the Ronettes, the Chiffons, and the Crystals. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about that because I did hear them say their names in here, but that didn't even occur to me. But they do okay. sing that kind of that style. Oh yeah. Well, and, and in that same vein, the voice of Audrey too was the lead singer of the Four Tops. Okay, I loved the voice of Audrey too. <laughs> oh God, that was so great! You, you know, he uh, Seymour keeps referring to Audrey too as she, and then all of a sudden, this like amazing baritone voice pops out, and it's like, <laughs> wow, that's a profanity-laced, not female voice. <laughs> I'm. I am still confused as to if the plant is supposed to be gendered or not. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think that they gave it a lot of thought, really. I think. Um, I mean, can you imagine like that kind of like verbiage coming out with a female voice? <laughs> no, the the voice that they got was perfect. Right. Well, we get the main theme song, "The Little Shop of Horrors," sung by the Greek chorus. Yep which I love the main theme song. It goes through my head, even like if I haven't been watching the movie in ages, sometimes this song will just go through my head. Oh yeah. It, <laughs> it's it has so catchy. the most, oh yeah, it, it is the most earworm of music <laughs> and it's amazing. 
There was a, a play that was done live here of Little Shop a, co- a couple of years back, and, and even them, they found the perfect trio to be the the Greek chorus, and it was just amazing. Like you walk out of there and you just your toes are tapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything is so catchy in this movie. Yes, it it's, is. It's kind of funny <laughs> after seeing the '60s version. I always thought that this movie was like ridiculous and weirdly hilarious, but after seeing the '60s version. It's not as funny as the 60s version. This, the 80s version isn't as funny as the 60s version, but the music sets it apart in a completely different way. And it's like hilarious in a different way than the 60s version. Oh, 100%. It's, I, I really like how, how different they are while they're still very similar. Right. It is, it is honestly, if you want to take notes on how to make a good remake, like, this is really mm. the way to do it. Like it takes the source material and expands on it in a lot of great ways. Not that you have to go musical by any stretch, but it takes all that stuff and it, it changes it, but keeps the main themes. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I'm missing now from the sixties version is the guy that eats flowers. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I actually made a note of, of like po- of pros and cons and like the pros were the, the Greek chorus, the over the top, Steve Martin, um, but yeah, the cons were the flower guy, <laughs> Seymour's mom, and the lack of a chase that oh, ends with yeah. Seymour inside of a toilet. <laughs> I would have loved a, a weird version of Seymour's mom in this. Oh my god, that'd be so great. Also, like, Mushnik in this, like, and obviously we'll talk more about it as we go along, but I liked the 60s Mush- Mushnik better. Yeah, same. Like, there's just, I don't know, and not that... I think there was a lot less emphasis on him in this one, which is fine. I mean, he really shouldn't be the main emphasis. Mm-hmm. But you get from the start, like, you get more of an authoritative voice, more of a fatherly figure, which is great. But then he just kind of turns into kind of a scumbag. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. He just, he wasn't as good of a character. Yeah. He had moments where he was good, but as a whole, the 60s one was better. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, you know, the the script is written as it's written. You know, and where would you go from the over-the-top 60s Mushnik? I mean... <laughs> well, after the opening, we meet our main character, Seymour, Rick Moranis, who I'm sure everyone knows from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is what oh. I grew up with him on. Also, space or um, Spaceballs. Oh, yes. I've only seen that once. It wasn't one I grew up with. Oh, I love that movie. But yeah, he's he was in a lot of stuff around this time, mm-hmm. and then he kind of disappeared. Yeah, I think he was taking. I think his wife had cancer or something. He walked away from Hollywood basically to take care of her. Yeah, I think I read something like that. Like he wanted to raise his kids, which yeah, is kind of amazing because that yeah. doesn't usually happen. No, agreed. Oh, he was also in Ghostbusters. I still need to see Ghostbusters. Oh my God, such a good movie. Like, it was one of those things at the time, Ghostbusters 2, eh. but Ghostbusters 1, especially if you get with the right people, it's like, <sighs> amazing. Yeah, I, I've i always heard that it's hilarious, but I I didn't, haven't seen it, and I actually own it, and I haven't seen it. That's I'm okay. looking at it across the room on my shelf right now. I still haven't watched it. Set it up for, a, for an October viewing, because that's a perfect time of year to watch it. Oh, yeah. But we get a scene of Seymour putting a plant on the shelf, and he falls. The shelf falls, 
kind of setting him up as kind of a klutz. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and in this scene, there's a radio playing. And I don't know if this is supposed to be funny, and I don't know if there was supposed to be more to this, but the radio says that a total eclipse of the sun has baffled the nation. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> so does nobody know what an eclipse is? <laughs> Well, you know, those those 50s eclipses kind of came out of nowhere and usually led to aliens that like to serve mankind. <laughs> Thankfully, that didn't happen with the eclipse that I went to see. That's true. That's true. Well, after this, we meet Audrey and Mr. Mushnick. And I don't know, I don't recognize Mr. Mushnick, but Ellen Green plays Audrey. And apparently she was the original Audrey in the stage play yes and she also started apparently in the uh, stage play she had curly brown hair like the audrey from the 60s version but they mm. decided to go um a blonde bob for this one so okay yeah they considered cindy lopper and barbara streisand hmm. but then they went with green because she was just really perfect for the part yeah, I really like her. She, have you ever seen Pushing Daisies? Oh my God, I love Pushing Daisies. Such a good show. That was the first place I ever saw her. And she's one of my favorites. And I don't remember how long after I saw Pushing Daisies that I watched this, but I knew her instantly. It was like, I more more to love about her. I need to find more stuff that she's in. She's She's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the character that she plays here... The accent that she pulls, I mean, kudos to her for pulling that accent for that long and that hard. <laughs> she did a great job. She did. Like, she played the, like, you know, she had such a heart, but there was also just the total dits. Yeah, yeah. Well, she comes in with a black eye, and Mr. Mushnick says that he's beginning to think that her boyfriend is no good for her. <laughs> <laughs> there might be possible, you know, it's a possibility. <laughs> And then the trio of singers are outside, and he yells at them to stop loitering. And he's asking how do, how they intend to better themselves. And they basically just laugh at this and say they're from Skid Row, which leads to the song Skid Row. Which is an incredible song. Actually, the, um, the, the lady that starts the song, so you see like um, an older black woman like walking down the street. Mm -hmm. And, oh God, where is she? Give me just a second here. Because um, she was of note. If I just... Oh, here we go. The old woman... Okay. The old woman who begins the song Skid Row is a Tony-nominated singer-actress, comedian, Bertrice Redding. Let's see. She sang her part to the song live on set. This was her final film appearance. Hmm. She had a great voice. Oh, my God. It was amazing. It just... It, it felt very Broadway. Mm. You know, just the the... What, and you could tell a lot of, I think a lot of the people were dubbed, but yeah, she sounded very authentic. Mm -hmm. So after Skid Row, Mushnick and Audrey and Seymour, they're all kind of sitting around doing nothing. Nobody's coming in. And That's a great scene. <laughs> he threatens to close the store and Seymour suggests that they go in a different direction and Audrey says that Seymour should go get some of his strange and interesting plants to display. And he goes and gets Audrey too. And Mushnick thinks that this is ridiculous, thinking that 
displaying strange and interesting plants will attract customers. But as soon as it goes into the window, someone appears and says, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice that strange and interesting plant. <laughs> and this guy has like a weird infomercial slash robot voice. Oh, totally. <laughs> and I, I think that he could and I could be wrong, but I think he's kind of the the equivalent of the flower eating guy, kind of. Maybe he is like it's a weird guy that shows up at the shop. So yeah, well, and like this whole first part, and I guess it kind of leads to the way that the whole movie is shot. But one of the things that makes this one really interesting and kind of funny is the way that it's shot. Like it, it's almost shot in like a like too close sometimes perspective. But when they bring out Audrey too, like you see it from Audrey's perspective or Audrey two's perspective, and I love mm. that part. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So the infomercial robot guy wonders where the plant came from, which leads to the song Total Eclipse of the Sun, <laughs> because Seymour apparently bought it from an old Chinese man during a total eclipse of the sun. Actually, the one that is mentioned on the radio earlier. Yes. And the Greek chorus has like the greatest, like, I love their bit with the song. I think that's great. Like it's, you know, they... They bring up her name when he mentions, oh, and there was a plant there. And they go, Audrey, too. Yeah. I really like the the way they're in the background of some songs, especially this one. Mm, very much. But it shows Seymour going to visit this old Chinese man who he buys plants from all the time, wondering if there's anything new. And he doesn't have anything new. But then when the eclipse happens, Seymour doesn't see this. Only the audience does the plant appears in a green light behind him. That's totally normal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he sees it and the guy sells it to him, even though he doesn't even know where it came from because he didn't see it appear either. <laughs> Paid a dollar ninety-five for it. <laughs> I suppose that probably was worth a lot more money in the fifties. <laughs> I would imagine so. Well, after he tells this story, the guy that came in is like, that's a fascinating story. While I'm here, I might as well take $50 worth of roses. <laughs> I wonder how much $50 was worth back then. That must be like a fortune. Well, it's probably... I'm not sure. I, I would imagine probably around 100 maybe? Either way, it was a, a lot of money for the 50s, or at least for one purchase. Mm. Here, I'll look, I'll look it up quick. Give me, give me just a second here. Okay, wow. Okay, according to this, in 1950, $50 was worth $566.40. Whoa. Yeah. Would they even have that many roses on hand? I, I don't know. Their shop looked pretty barren. Yeah. Okay, so if it was in the 60, if it was in 1960, it would have been uh, worth $461.15. Well, either way, that's... An enormous amount more than $50. Yes, I would 100% agree. And then they don't have change, then he has to buy $100 worth of roses. Yeah, which he does without even blinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's I just like, want, no I big wanna, deal. Yeah, I just want to see, like, the bundle of roses he walks out of there with. Like, I just imagine it's bigger than he is. Well, I think you see him at the end, like, because there's, after that, a ton of people come in. They're all wondering about the plant buying flowers. There's, like, a whole line of people leaving, and I think he's at the end of that line. Oh, okay. I have to go back and look. But I don't think he has enough flowers to warrant four to $500 worth. <laughs> Would have been too much of the production budget. <laughs> yeah. 
But they apparently do really well that day, and Smoshnik is so excited that he wants to take them all out to dinner, but Audrey refuses because she has a date, and Smoshnik is upset that she's dating that no-good Nick. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a great line. <laughs> and Audrey defends him, saying that he makes good money, and he's the only fella I got, which was so sad. <laughs> it is very sad. It's like, oh, you poor thing. Yeah, oof. So she leaves, and Seymour wonders if he and Mushnik are still going together, going to dinner together. But at that moment, Audrey too droops, and Mushnik tells him that he's got to stay there and nurse it back to health. Right. And he says, I told you she's been giving me trouble. Audrey too is not a healthy girl. Strictly between us, neither is the Audrey one. <laughs> That's such a great line. <laughs> But like you say, the, the, this isn't as, it doesn't quite have the quick wit of of the 60s one, but the the lines are, are still very funny in their own way. Yeah, it's, it, I feel like the humor isn't as over the top ridiculous. It's, I mean, it's still ridiculous, but it's more subtle than the 60s one. Oh, yeah. Well, in the movie itself, I mean, the 60s movie itself is over the top, like everything about it. There's There's absolutely no doubt. Yes, yeah. Everybody cranked that stuff to 11 without even thinking about it. Oh, definitely. It's like they were all running high on caffeine and I don't know what else. <laughs> so Mushnik leaves and Seymour takes the plant downstairs and sings to it and the song Grow For Me. And he eventually pricks his finger and then he sucks on it. <laughs> I've never understood people who suck on bleeding fingers. That just seems so gross to me. It seems counterproductive. I suppose if you, you can't even like, it's not going to close off, close it off sooner. I, I don't know, maybe unless you don't have like a, a towel or band-aid to put on it. Yeah, I don't know. But he hears sucking noises from the plant, which then tries to bite him. So he gives it a few drops of blood and goes upstairs and the plant proceeds to grow a lot more than you would expect from just a few drops of blood. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the effort put into growing, that whole scene is pretty great. Yeah. I will also say that, like, you know, when he's testing out, like, he, you know, he points the bloody finger at Audrey 2, and it gets really, it tries to bite, and then he points his other finger at, at it, and it, it turns and it, away. <laughs> it turns away. It turns its head up. And just kind of like a little, like a little petulant child. <laughs> yes. I wrote down that I love sassy baby Audrey too. Like that's, <laughs> it's such a, it, they, they injected so much character into that one little section. Yeah. I, I just love it. It was so, it was so fun. All the plant effects are so good. Oh my God. They're amazing. And the, the trivia behind them, which I'll talk a little bit about later, but my God, the yeah. work that went in is just amazing. Everything about the way the plants move and act i think it rivals anything that they do today it looks better than a lot of stuff that they do today oh yeah well and overall i mean say what you will about practical versus cgi effects but there is something to be said for being able to physically see and touch oh, yeah. and have it right there in front of you yeah and there's weight to it it's it's not just you know a 2d image crafted it's not just a tennis ball that the actors have to look at <laughs> It's gotten a little bit better than that, but yeah, I know, agreed. It's definitely, and and you look at what the budgets were for the time and some of the things that that they went through. I mean, it's amazing. Just 
you know, I guess being that the the Jim Hen like J- the creature shop is what came up with the Audrey plant, mm-hmm. like I, I don't think you would expect less. You had no, people yeah. that knew how to do how to do the how to do puppets right. Yeah. So after this, Seymour goes on a radio show, which I just was like, why is he going on a radio show? Nobody can see the plant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, John Candy in here was just like. I mean, you think about DJs today, the ones that are still left and around, like, they do have that that weird, chaotic energy and go-over-the-topness, but I don't think I've ever seen anything like what John Candy did in that in that small segment. No, yeah, the show is called, we- I think it's called Weird World with Wink Wilkerson. Yes. <laughs> something like that. Something similar to that. It's, he's, he's just, he's weird. <laughs> Yeah. He does all sorts of weird sound effects and pretends things are happening and confuses Seymour. <laughs> Poor guy. And I'll say the people that were out in the waiting room with him, which that whole scene too, you had like a, a full-size nun dummy that I think had a cello. There was a guy that had like this um, steampunk setup thing going on, but the plant, there's a, like the secretary had bent over to grab something out of a, out of a cabinet and you see audrey too like trying to nip at her butt oh god (laughs) yeah her i think it was because her dress was the color of blood oh that's possible that would actually i was trying to think i i don't (laughs) i can't think that a that a plant would have that kind of attraction but that aspect of it makes sense well that's what i thought but that that also brings up the question how does audrey two see (laughs) they Uh, have no eyes (laughs) i suppose the sense of smell I mean, well, it could be, but if you're going by the dress was blood colored, the smell wouldn't be colored. That's true. <laughs> but that that was my that was just my thought. I don't actually know if that's why Audrey <laughs> was trying to bite her. I just Audrey too, not Audrey. <laughs> no, no, well, that would be weird. But you know, in that same vein, the like when you see the like the and the the plant the plant puppet is probably like a foot tall at that point. Mm-hmm. Detail inside of Audrey two's mouth. Like the tongue and the there's like blossoms inside there. Mm-hmm. The, the the attention to detail across yeah. the board, like you say, and I'm yeah, I'm just bringing it up because it's just it's not something I had noticed before. Like it just caught me when I watched it. It's like how did I not notice this? Yeah, they really put a lot of work into making the plant feel like it was actually a plant and not some sort of weird alien animal. Absolutely. Well, and you think like puppets, like, and not that Kermit is a great example, but it's a really simple mouth and, and it's a, it's a very simple kind of rig. Mm-hmm. And then you look at this and it's like incredible. Yeah. No, I loved, I loved all the detail, especially yeah, in the mouth, all the different plant parts. They're not like real plants, but you can tell that the, the pieces were based on real plant parts. Oh yeah. And they weren't just shoved in there. They were crafted. Yes. Yeah. It looked, it looks so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's on this radio show, and Wink is pretending to get murdered by a jealous husband for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Because drama. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go into the interview, and then it cuts to Mushnik listening on the radio, and Audrey comes in right at the very end of the interview. And says that she tried to be on time. And Mushnik says, let me guess, you got tied up. No, just handcuffed a little. 
Is this where she had her arm in the sling? Yes. I had never noticed that before. I've watched this movie several times. I had never noticed the sling. But it's sort of like made of lace and it looks maybe like it's part of the dress. And I think that's why I never noticed. Oh, no. That makes 100% sense. Like, it's just you look at it and it's like, what what's going on here? But, you know, Audrey is a stylish lady. So you got to have a stylish, you know, sling going on. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have even noticed, except after that, I was paying more attention to, because I turned on the subtitles, mm-hmm. and I was paying more attention to, like, specific things people were saying, and the trio comes up after Mushnik is gone, and they're talking to Audrey, asking why she doesn't leave him, and I think I think one of them mentioned something about a cast, so I looked at her arm, and it's not a cast, it's a sling, I was like, oh, I never noticed that before. And I thought that her line about just handcuffed a little was like supposed to be a joke. But apparently whatever happened, she got hurt (laughs) and made a sling out of lace. Yes. But yeah, the the trio is asking why she doesn't leave him. And they say that she, she should just get another guy to protect her. And she says something like, I can't. He'd get mad if he does this to me when he likes me. Imagine what he'd do if he ever got mad. He'd probably get like hopped up on laughing gas and Ugh. try and <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the trio suggests that she see Seymour instead, and she waves off that idea, saying they're just friends and she doesn't deserve a guy like Seymour. And then she goes inside and starts singing somewhere that's green. Yep. It's sort of like a 50s fantasy thing. Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> I love the line, there's plastic on the furniture, like it's some amazing thing. <laughs> that and, is incredible. The uh, best line of that entire song. And watching Lucy on their giant 12-inch screen. <laughs> Imagine what she'd do if she walked into a Walmart today. Oh, my God. Well, she'd be upset that there wasn't plastic all over everything. Also, I did yeah. not. I knew I knew Rick Moranis was short, but he's either incredibly short or Ellen Green is incredibly tall. I'm not sure which, but like they're it walking down be, the hallway there. And holy crap. It could be both. I feel like she was tall in Pushing Daisies. And like, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure she was in. the taller of the two sisters. Okay. I haven't watched it in a while, so I'm reaching back into my memory. I don't oh, know no. for sure. That's okay. I can't. I remember the sisters, but I can't remember, like, height-wise how that all fell out. So. so after Audrey's song is finished, the trio comes back in and starts singing Some Fun Now. And there's a montage of Seymour feeding the plant his blood. And that has... An amazing effect because Audrey 2 is now absolutely enormous. Yes. Crowds are coming to see it. And Seymour starts forgetting things. Yes, he is basically a zombie. He forgets Mrs. Shiva's order. (laughs) (laughs) And Mushnik says, Mrs. Shiva's our most important funereal account. She's got a big, enormous family and they're dropping off like flies. I love the callback to it. Like, it's such a simple little thing. And it's something that you would never know if you, if you hadn't seen the 60s version. And exactly. that just, I had never seen it before watching it this time. And that jumped out at me. I was like, wow, that's a great <laughs> callback. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I used to think that, too. It's like, because there is a bit of, like, 
there is a little bit of emphasis to it. And it's like, well, it's, it's, there's something more to it, but I've no idea what it is. Uh Yeah. Incredible. So cool. (laughs) At this point, Audrey is telling Seymour that she thinks Mr. Mushnick is too hard on him, but he defends Mr. Mushnick saying that he took him in when he was a kid and gave him a job. And Audrey says that it's clear that he suffers from low self-image and he should get that fixed. (laughs) And and in the previous scene, you had the trio talking about how Audrey suffers from low self-image. So it's quite (laughs) ironic that she can see that in someone else, but not in herself. Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of a classic thing. Like, it's always it's always you can see other people's stuff, but not your own. That is true. Yeah. For some reason, she recommends buying a new clothes. I don't know how she thinks that that's going to help, but that's her recommendation. And he says that he can't. He has bad tastes. She offers to go shopping with him, and he asks if it can be tonight. And she says she can't. She has a date. And Mushnik overheard this and says, another date? Some date. A date gives you a corsage, not a multiple fracture. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey defends him, saying, he's a professional. And he says, what kind of professional drives a motorcycle and wears a leather jacket? which is the intro to the dentist character who is yes. who she's been dating, who's been beating her up. This guy is played by Steve Martin, and we actually get a name. I don't know if he had a name in the other version, but... I think he did, but... I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right. It's Oren Scrivello. Something like that, yeah. I don't <laughs> which know the name is. the name would fit in the old one, because the old one had weird names. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no one quite as good as Wilberforce, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. His name wasn't that in this one, I don't think. No, it was uh, Arthur Denton. Yeah, Wilberforce is better. (laughs) Yes, well, Wilberforce was a ton better, but that's okay. (laughs) But this scene has him driving down the street on his motorcycle, singing about all the sadistic things that he did as a child, most of them having to do with either torturing or murdering animals. Yes, and then his mom said that he should be a dentist because that would... It's good for pain. His natural tendencies would lead him to that. (laughs) (laughs) He also acts a lot like Elvis. Oh, yeah. He's totally like, I wrote down, he's um, he's an Elvis slash greaser slash dentist slash laughing gas addicted guy. (laughs) He also has um, a shrine to his dead mother in in the one closet. And I guess it was an actor, like it was an actor that was, they just put a wig on. (laughs) Like a super manly guy. And yeah. I need to go back and watch that again. I didn't look close at the picture. Let me, let me look real quick and see who it was. Not that it makes a ton of difference, but uh, let's see. All right. The little shrine that, that he keeps in his office of his dear mother appears to be veteran actor Henry Jones. And Henry Jones is, he was in Vertigo, the grifter. So it looks like he was in a lot of Westerns. Mm. So like a man's man. For a second, I thought you were going to say he was in the original one. <laughs> oh, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> it was Mr. Mushnick. <laughs> that actually would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. So the dentist gets to his office and he's being all sorts of sadistic to everybody around. He like rips the little girl's doll's head off. He punches his nurse square in the face. And that was ad-libbed. <laughs> did she know it was coming i it didn't say i hope so (laughs) 
you see the nurse better in a later scene, and I could have sworn I'd seen her before, so I looked her up. It's Miriam Margolis. Margolis? I'm mm-hmm. not sure how to pronounce her last name. She's well-known in, like, British films and series. Like, she was in Blackadder. She's oh, in nice. the Harry Potter movies. And <laughs> I know I noticed, I guess this is more her voice, not her face, but she was in the Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> She's Miss Plithiver, oh which God. is a little snake. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's probably not something that anybody else is going to even care about, but I'm like one of the few people who actually likes that movie. No, that's awesome, though. What a, what a cool thing. And, and the fact that you're able to recognize that is pretty amazing, too. And then I looked her up, too, to see what else she'd been in. I didn't realize she was the matchmaker in Mulan. Really? The original, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That's that's pretty awesome. Well, yeah. I know the person with a with a unique voice can definitely make the rounds and do quite a mm-hmm. few different things. Mm-hmm. And then in this montage of tormenting people and patients, there's one particular scene where he's drilling inside this enormous, terrifying puppet mouth. Oh, my God. Which that's is so cool. So well done, but so gross. <laughs> oh, it's I love I love the POV shots like that. They're just they're off the wall and crazy. Yeah. Um, one fun thing about the dental equipment that um, that Steve Martin uses. Apparently, they were also used in Tim Burton's Batman. Hmm. So they were the tools that Jack Nicholson's Joker used after he fell into the chemicals. Hmm. When was when was that made? Was it like uh, right around the 89. same time? Yeah, it was done in eighty nine. And it might it was more um the dental tools that they show off were during Bill Murray's scene. Mm-hmm. So they might have been made bigger and stuff, like, you know, more heinous, but the, the dental tools that were there were were also used in the Joker, so or in uh Batman, so Hmm. Interesting. I suppose it's like a they have the prop shops that have like, you know, terrifying dental tools and, you know, rusty drills and hey, <laughs> here's a creepy I dental chair. <laughs> I suppose they probably have a place for all that kind of stuff somewhere, like a library, but check out <laughs> creepy medical instruments. You need a you need um a lizard head in a jar. We got you covered. <laughs> you need a giant mouth to use for POV shots. They can also sing. Edge it covered. <laughs> that mouth was so weird. Yes. It was, like, it was so well done, and I really liked the giant tool. Like, you could tell, I mean, I'm assuming be, that this thing was huge because of the way it was shot, but he was holding some sort of tooth scraping instrument. I don't know. <laughs> the, I'm assuming it was enormous to be able to, like, fit into this point of view shot from inside the mouth and it like the whole scene was so well done but the mouth was just really gross <laughs> yes well mouths in general aren't necessarily the most that's true awesome places to <laughs> you know it isn't really the inside of a mouth isn't necessarily a place you'd want to stay and photograph you know for long versions yeah. of time yeah no i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> so that night seymour's outside and he hears some far off crazed laughter and getting louder and louder and then the dentist just sort of falls out of the sky on his bike <laughs> I don't know that that's what it was supposed to look like but it looked like he just fell out of the sky <laughs> he's magical well at one point the bike um, 
parks itself. It's almost well, like a sentient true. bike. Yeah, I forgot about that. It must be. Stuff is possible on Skid Row. <laughs> like, you wouldn't believe all the things that can happen there. <laughs> but the dentist is huffing laughing gas, and Audrey appears, and he starts berating her, and... She gets on his bike and he takes off saying something about handcuffs. I was surprised that there weren't any more scenes of her wearing her lace sling after that. Yeah. Oof. And she rides side saddle too on the bike. <laughs> Which for the, I'm sure for the dress, there, there'd be no way you'd be able That's to maintain true. any kind of um, modesty while riding a bike like that. Yeah. So Seymour goes back inside and he's telling Audrey too what's happening, uh, but the plant collapses and this time it whimpers at him, feed me. Then it starts getting more demanding and Seymour asks for a few days to heal, but the plant is getting like really desperate, leading to another song, Feed Me Seymour, mm -hmm. which is another really catchy song that sometimes goes through my head. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they actually duet with this song mm. at one point. The plant starts to promise him everything, anything he ever wanted, if he feeds him. And then he starts suggesting that he kill somebody for him. Mm -hmm. And Seymour says he doesn't know anyone who deserves to be killed and fed to a plant. But the plant says, sure you do, and points <laughs> out the window where the dentist is driving up, yelling at Audrey, who is way behind him running. Apparently she fell off the bike, which is probably because she was side saddle. Exactly. That's kind of what I had thought too. So for some reason, he's furious at her for falling off the bike and he's continuing to yell and scream and berate her until they get inside. And you see from si them in silhouette and he slaps her across the face and suddenly Seymour is totally fine with murdering someone. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, raises the heart of a hero or something like that, so. So, I think it's the next day at the dentist office. This is where Bill Murray comes in. Classic scene. <laughs> He's waiting his turn for an appointment, and he, this little girl comes out in a head brace, and he's, like, demanding to know everything that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it is literally, like, the contraptions on her face... It reminded me of um, one of the Saw movies. Like, it's this gigantic contraption that goes over her mouth and it's like Saw flashbacks. <laughs> That's not what it reminded me of. I've never seen Saw, but it reminded me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the flashbacks oh, totally. to Willy Wonka's childhood. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I got the wrong movie. It's Saw 2, not the original Saw. But okay. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, it's got to make that distinction. <laughs> well, you you know... <laughs> Anyway, the dentist comes out and Bill Murray's character is saying that it's his turn. And the dentist says, does that have an appointment? <laughs> <laughs> and his nurse says, ask it. I'm on break. <laughs> That's awesome. Which is the right response. After all, um, Steve Martin did find it necessary to punch his nurse in the face. So I would have that reaction, too. <laughs> yeah. So he goes in to have his appointment and Seymour comes in with a gun and he hears from the back a whole bunch of screaming and thank you, thank you, more, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then for some reason this like fully disturbs the dentist and he kicks him out and calls him a sicko. 
<laughs> well, and I think the reason that is, is because like um, Steve Martin's character enjoys inflicting pain, but to know that there's someone on the other end of that that enjoys receiving pain kind of yeah. kills the enjoyment of it. Yeah, he, um, he likes it when he's hurting people. He doesn't like it when he's not, when he's when he's hurting people, but they're the enjoying opposite. it. Yeah. Yes, when someone likes what he's doing. Exactly. And Bill Murray, like, it's not surprising at all, I don't think. But um, everything that happened, like, inside the actual dentist's office, so inside, like, on the chair, was all ad-libbed. Like, he was given the direction to, um, just for ecstatic cries of pleasure. Other than that, it was kind of up to him. But he kept, like, (laughs) riffing ad-libs. I can see that, yeah. And apparently it took two days to film that. Or over the course of the two days he was filmed, he kept ad-libbing random things, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i wonder what the outtakes look like on that one. Oh, you know that there's going to be some really interesting ones <laughs> and despite coming up at roughly the same time that was the only movie that those two were in really apparently yeah according to the trivia huh they seem like two people that would naturally be working together a lot at the time agreed so after bill murray has been kicked out he pulls Seymour into his operating room and prepares to do all sorts of evil dentist things to him. <laughs> hey, back in the fifties, the dentists were evil. My my one aunt like was terrified of the dentist. Mm. But before he starts operating, he says he needs to get the gas, which Seymour thinks is for him, but it's not. <laughs> and he puts on this weird enormous contraption that has a gas mask on it that i don't know if it's a real thing or just something they made up for this movie i would assume made up but i i'm not 100 like just the the layout of it i I don't know (laughs) it it looks ridiculous it does it's it's as over the top as the movie but he puts this thing on starts pumping himself full of gas he goes crazier than usual and at this point, Seymour jumps up and pulls out his gun, and the dentist finds this hilarious. He tries to turn the gas up, but his thing breaks, and he ends up collapsing and basically laughs himself to death while Seymour watches. I guess Seymour... I don't, I don't know if Seymour would have had the guts to actually kill him, but I th- he j- must have just decided that it's easier to watch him accidentally kill himself than to do it himself. Well, and in there, too, um, Steve Martin asks him why he doesn't help him, and he says, basically, because for Audrey. I, th- he, I think there was a line like, what I ever do to you, and he says, nothing, it's what you did to her. That's what the line was, yeah. You're so good at this. <laughs> so, Seymour drags the body back to the shop in an appropriately sized body bag unlike the one in the 60s where it was like a little sack (laughs) back in the 60s bodies were just more compact (laughs) so he gets in and audrey too is screaming feed me and audrey too is not quite big enough to eat a whole person yet so he goes to get an axe to make some little dentist nuggets apparently (laughs) dentist nuggets But unfortunately, Mushnik is outside and he sees him chopping. I think he only sees the shadow, but somehow he knows what's going on. Unless he looked through the fence or something. I don't know. Later, he says that there were droplets of blood on the on the, oh, that's surrender, right. the floor and then also on the concrete outside. 
Okay, so he only saw the shadow, but then he saw the blood and put two and two together. Yeah. So he goes back inside and feeds the dentist to the plant. And the next day he sees Audrey talking to the police and he goes to find out what they said. And she tells him that Oren is missing and they suspect foul play because his office was left in ruins. I I feel like he should have cleaned up the office. Just don't make it look so suspicious. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he was pretty traumatized after having to feed um, Audrey too. Yeah, I suppose. So he tries to comfort Audrey, saying it wouldn't be so bad if he were gone. And she agrees, but says she still feel guilty because she secretly wished for this. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells her not to waste another minute thinking about him. There's a lot of guys who give anything to go out with her. And she says that she doesn't deserve a nice guy. She deserved everything she got with Oren because she's led a terrible life. She met him working at the gutter. And she doesn't explain what it is, but I think she's saying that she was a stripper. I don't know for sure, but I just sort of, I feel like she was inferring that. It was either a stripper or like a waitress at some kind of a gentleman's club of some sort. Or maybe like a gambling den, because like the outfits for someone that works like doing chips or cigar girl, or like the, the poker chips or cigar girl would wear something relatively revealing. Okay. It was kind of funny though because she's she's wearing a dress that it like it, it's pretty the the neckline plunges down pretty far yeah and she's like oh I wear I wear clothes that are so revealing nothing classy like where I, what I'm wearing now <laughs> but whatever happened at the gutter she said it was terrible and she thinks she deserves the horrible life that she now has. But he tells her that's all in the past, and he knows that she's a good person, and that leads into the song Suddenly Seymour, which is another one that runs through my head sometimes. It's not quite a catchy bop (laughs) like the others, but there's something about that one that it goes through my head. I don't know. I like that one a lot. Agreed. And I was amazed, like, you hear Rick Moranis' voice, and you think, okay, it's nasally, it's kind of eh. His singing voice is probably terrible. But his singing voice is actually really good. And I don't know mm-hmm. at that point in time, like how much I, I doubt they had auto tune, but like how much manipulation there was to it. But he really sung well. Yeah, he did. So at the end of that song, they basically profess their love to each other and kiss. And Seymour goes home and Audrey too opens the door for him. And he goes downstairs while Audrey too is sort of evilly chuckling. Oh, yeah. Audrey 2 has a great evil chuckle. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, Mushnick comes in, confronts him about everything he knows, and while this whole confrontation is happening, Audrey 2 is, like, singing ominously in the background. (laughs) And that's the song Supper Time. Seymour is trying to explain what happened, but Mushnick pulls a gun on him and forces him to go upstairs acting like he's going to take him to the police but when they get upstairs he says he'll let him go if he lays low for like 30 40 years and lets (laughs) him keep the plant but he needs to know how to care for it then he says but if you'd rather hang and points the gun right at his face at this point the trio has joined in and they're outside singing ominously while audrey too is quietly opening his mouth right behind mushnick And Mushnick turns around, and he's shocked by this huge plant, and 
curious about it and ends up leaning into its mouth and chomp. Yeah. R.I.P. Bushnick. <laughs> he gets eaten whole. He's at this point, Audrey 2 is big enough. Doesn't need to make <laughs> Mushnick nuggets. <laughs> yes. Well, if they make if he, if if uh, Audrey Two makes Mushnick nuggets, it's definitely inside, not outside. So. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much time passes here, but some time passes, and you get the song "The Meek Shall Inherit." While Seymour is being offered deals, he gets like a weekly gardening show on TV. Yep. And a news crew comes in to do an interview. And, like, in the middle of the interview, Audrey 2 collapses. And the host is like, wanting him to feed it. But Seymour says he can't. And he gets hysterical and runs away. And Audrey follows him. And he tells she tells him that the crew is going to be back the next day with a huge check. And Seymour says that if they get enough money, they could escape. And he proposes. And they plan to go to City Hall right away. And then get away once they have the money right so he goes back home to pack tries to sneak past audrey too but it doesn't work audrey too is demanding food and seymour says that all he can offer is ground round <laughs> and he can't live with the guilt of killing any more people he leaves and audrey too like scoots his pot across the floor and takes oh, a quarter <laughs> takes a quarter out of the cash register and uses the phone to call audrey and while he's on hold, he's like tapping his tapping his vines against the the um, one of the windows. <laughs> yeah, and at some point he's like fishing around in the coin return. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious! <laughs> it was so um, good. You're wondering how much time has passed, and I don't know how much from the initial event to like the final kind of climax. But there was like Christmas decor and lights up, so it must have been somewhere around the mm. Christmas season at that point. Okay. So he's called Audrey and she's looking out the window and realizes that this plant is talking to her. She goes over to the flower shop and he tells her that he needs water. And this leads into a reprise of supper time. And the plant is like caressing her with his vines. And just as she gets the watering can, he wraps her up and starts eating her. But Seymour appears just in time to free her. She's also wearing a wedding dress. <laughs> Oh, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because they're going to go to City Hall, so. That that totally escaped me. I just figured it was another one of her outlandish outfits. <laughs> I mean, it is outlandish, but in this case, at least it looks that way. Like, there's a lot of taffeta, and it's yeah. very white and, and flowy. No, I think and you're right. I just didn't catch that. <laughs> so, Seymour tries to explain what happened they reaffirm their love with a reprise of Suddenly Seymour, but they're interrupted by a salesman, played by Jim Belushi, <laughs> who is wanting to make cuttings of Audrey too and sell them all over the world. Seymour refuses this, and he tells Audrey that he needs to end this once and for all. He goes back inside, confronts Audrey too, saying that he's figured out what the plan was all along. World Conquest... And Audrey too just laughs, confirming his suspicions, and then breaks out of his pot and into song, singing Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. A few fun facts about this one. It was the first um, Oscar-nominated song to contain uh, profanity, and it was the first one to be sung by a villain. Hmm. And it lost to, it lost Best Original Song to Take My Breath Away from Top Gun. Hmm. Interesting. 
I thought so too. No other villain songs? Uh, to that point, like it was a villain singing the song. So the, apparently this was the first one to, to feature a villain singing it. Hmm. Okay. This is another reason why I wasn't sure if the plant was supposed to be gendered. And maybe it's double meaning because the song is the Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. I think it's supposed to be gr- Mean Green Mother F-bomb. That, well, that's what I was thinking, but also the plant like if you make cuttings they become babies oh that's true so, so i was wondering if that's it may like it could be a double meaning too but that, that was another reason why i was wondering about the gender of the plant i think it's definitely a double meaning at least in this respect because i mean elder two does have quite a quite a nasty mouth and probably needs to have it washed out with soap a few times <laughs> yeah and a lot of babies because his blossoms become a backup choir Oh, yeah. It is a massive... I mean, there's probably 12 or 14, like, blossoms. Yeah, I really like their design, too, with their little tongues. Mm -hmm. That is very cool. Again, incredible design. And at some point, I think Seymour gets a gun, which is useless, but then the plant ends up with the gun, (laughs) which was hilarious. And he's shooting at Seymour, and Seymour's trying to chop his vines, but he knocks him over. He pulls his pants down at some one point. He's basically he just destroys the entire flower shop while oh, yeah, he's he pulls laughing maniacally. Yeah. But in the ruins, there was a bunch of electric cables, and Seymour gets them and electrocutes the plant, who explodes. <laughs> Which is a logical thing to happen. (laughs) And all the baby plants are screaming. (laughs) (laughs) And Seymour emerges from the rubble. And Audrey... they This this part confused me. It leads to a scene of them in wedding attire going into Audrey's fantasy house. So I'm wondering, is that real? (laughs) Or is this imaginary? I, I'm not sure. I would imagine, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's just meant to show happy ending and kind of leave it at that, really. But I, I'm not, I don't have anything one way or the other to confirm that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. But just the fact that it was specifically at the house that she had imagined made me <laughs> question this time. Like, I'd never thought about it before. I was like, are they implying that this is in their imagination? <laughs> Well, and this is this is a purely speculative thing, but I think it generally would make sense considering the reshoots that they had to do and trying to turn mm-hmm. it around to get it out. They might have just used that house because it was they had built it and it was available. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a cost-saving measure. Right. And you really only see the outside, so it's not like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would say that that's probably the logical if the, if it was the case, it's probably the logical explanation. Yeah. And that's basically the end, except the trio walk by as bridesmaids, and then the camera pans down into their garden to reveal a tiny Audrey too, smiling at the camera. The end. Yes. I'm glad that they put that in there, just so you you still get that kind of what-if thing going on. Uh-huh. Because it is... For all the work that was done on the on the alternate ending, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but... Oh, we can was, talk about it. We'll okay. talk. We'll talk about the uh, the original ending. 
Okay. Do you want to talk anything else before we go into that or? Because there's some interesting kind of trivia things, but. I mean, if you've got trivia here, then we can talk that. So it was, as of 1986, the budget was $25 million, and it was the most expensive movie Warner Brothers had ever produced. It even surpassed Aliens, which came out the same year, which had a budget of $18 million. Mm. Um, it was originally made uh, to be a summer blockbuster, but because of a pair of disastrous screenings, it got pushed back to December. It was done at Pinewood Studios in England, and it used every single soundstage there. Um, they didn't want to shoot it on location because they thought it would tamper with the, the mood of the film, which was kind of fantastical. Mm-hmm. Um, the largest version of Audrey 2 required 60 puppeteers. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Well, I guess there is a lot of vines, so yes. they probably had at least one person on every vine. Very much so. Um, there were six different stages of growth and three different versions of Muchnik's shop, making it possible for two units to work with the different sized plants at the same time. And each one of the talking plant versions had to be cleaned up, repainted, and patched at the end of each shooting day, which would take up to three hours. Oh, wow. They must have been really hard on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt. Well, and the coolest thing I found that I, I'm just amazed by so they were trying to figure out the best way to make Audrey 2's mouth movements look as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. The footage looked more convincing at like a slower speed. So normal frame rates are 24 frames per second. They cut it down to 12, so they halved it. And then they'd have the actors um, pantomime in slow motion. And then mm-hmm. they overdubbed everything after that. Yeah, that's probably why it looks so good. Because a huge puppet like that it would be so hard to get like natural movements. So the fact that they thought to record it slowly and then speed it up was just genius. Oh, absolutely. So, Oh, and originally uh, Martin Scorsese was set to direct this with Steven Spielberg as a producer and it was supposed to be shot in 3d, but then there was a lawsuit filed by um, the guy that wrote the original screenplay. Uh, Okay. Why did that stop 3d? I think it was more just the people doing it. Hmm. Okay. And that might've been like, they maybe didn't have the time after that. Like they had that set amount of time, but then because everything got stalled out, they went on to other projects. Hmm. But can you imagine Martin Scorsese directing this even in the eighties? That would be a bit strange. It would. I, I, I just, you look at the tone of this and I think the way it's shot, the way it's directed, the way that most of the elements work together it's such a crazy story that it all works together. I guess we haven't actually mentioned who did direct this. That's true. Frank Oz, who most people probably know as the voice of Yoda and Miss Piggy and a host of other Muppets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't think a lot of people know that he's a director, but I love that Yoda and Miss Piggy directed this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> There is actually a scene um, when the the Greek chorus are up on that roof and you've got like the neon sign in the background. It blinks between something, but then it blinks to just show Oz and then back to the full sign again and then down to Oz. So that's kind of his own little, hey, <laughs> look, I did hmm. this thing. I didn't notice that. I'll have to look closer next time. I didn't know about it until I read the trivia on it. But uh... Well, is that all the trivia you have? That's kind of all the the main stuff, so. 
Okay. Oh, the well, there's one more piece, but oh, uh, sorry. Remake was planned with Scarlett Johansson and Taron Ed- Egerton. But as I of May, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, been postponed indefinitely as of May 2021. Mm, that'll be interesting. It would. It would. I think it would either be really amazing or really terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't know. Right. Like the effects with Audrey too. I. I don't know. I think it could, again. I think it could probably go either way. Really. I would. I would hope that they would still use practical effects, but they probably won't. I don't know. Like it seems like things have. Not that they've evened out a ton, but I think there is the understanding of being able, if you get a good backer, you do get that combination of practical and special, mm-hmm. or practical and CGI. I guess we'll just have to see if they ever make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they ever make it. Postponed yeah. indefinitely doesn't sound very promising. Not really, no. <laughs> Though Scarlett Johansson as, as Audrey would be an interesting idea. Yeah, it would. And Taron Egerton, I mean, guy can sing. He was uh, Rocket Man here this past year with um, uh, what's his name? Elton John. He played Elton mm-hmm. John. Yeah, I I mainly know him because he was one of the main characters in the Dark Crystal series on Netflix. Oh yeah, he was also um, the Kingsman, or he was in the Kingsman. He was the main guy. Okay, I haven't so. seen that. Pretty good. The first one's pretty good. The second one isn't worth your time. <laughs> But that's personal preference. So, so the alternate ending. <laughs> yes, there was an original, like the ending that we got is not the original ending. The original ending was supposed to be a whole lot darker. Oh yeah, it was supposed to be based more on the stage play and the movie, or the original movie from the sixties. Mm-hmm. But when they filmed it and showed it to test audiences, they reacted incredibly negatively. And that was, like, across the board. Like, every time it was shown, the audience hated the ending. So they decided to give it a complete rewrite and give it a happy ending. Yep. And actually, uh, they were talking about, at least on the Wikipedia, which, you know, take it as you will. But they were saying one of the main reasons um, was when it was a stage play and had that very kind of dark ending... Seymour and Audrey die but then you know the curtain goes up and they do the you know the bow at the end and Mm -hmm. Seymour and Audrey come out and everything's good with a movie you know you get attached to these characters and then you know they're they're offed basically Mm -hmm. yeah I I can see that as being a legitimate reason why people would hate it I am glad that we got to see that ending because it is the amount of work put into it like it's probably it's probably like 12 minutes it costs $5 million to produce. Well, I think uh, there there is some stuff that crosses over with the original ending, so they didn't 100% reshoot it. Right. But start when when things first start changing to the very end is like over 20 minutes. Yeah. It's like it's a legitimately a completely alternate ending. Very much so. Like everything that you see with Seymour battling Audrey 2 up until the point of like pulling out the electrical cord at the end that was all in the original ending mm-hmm. but the the main difference with that scene was audrey was not outside no <laughs> she was inside the plant right so then she's she's inside the plant and as compared to being saved soon enough she gets mowed down on a bit uh seymour pulls her free and she's dying basically yeah and she says let me be a part of your work 
you know, let this plant become big and stuff. And I will always be with you because I'll be a part of the plant. Mm-hmm. So he puts her inside Audrey 2. Audrey 2 says, hey, it's my turn to take over the world. And then an evil laugh and then giant fight goes on. Yeah. the Going back to the scene with where Audrey's dying, you get a, a really sad reprise of Somewhere That's Green. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, God. Dual yeah. meanings, <laughs> but but clever. Yeah, there's there's so much that I really like about this alternate ending. Like I'm, I'm a person who loves a happy ending, so I do like the original ending. But there's so much that I like about this alternate ending too, and it, like even that, even that, like this the sad. There's something about how sad this somewhere that's green reprise is that I really like. Oh yeah, Ellen Green just she kills it. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. And after she dies and is then fed to Audrey too, he's like, he's going to commit suicide. He's going up to the roof. He's going to jump. And he's interrupted by this guy who doesn't even seem phased one bit that he's about to jump off the roof. And this is not Jim Belushi, but this is the same character, the salesman. And he's talking about making cuttings of Audrey too. except he, this in this scene, he's already made one and he has a little plant which is just smiling at Seymour. Because <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> the, the little plant is actually kind of cute. I kind of want one. <laughs> oh, it's totally adorable. Like, if you got one of those for your desk, but obviously not a real Audrey too, because that wouldn't be so good. But this is where Seymour runs back to the flower shop and has the huge fight. And the salesman says that he doesn't actually need Seymour because the plant is public domain. <laughs> <laughs> he calls it a vegetable though too <laughs> well i guess it does kind of look like a weird cabbage yeah it does but you know they they really play up and obviously it's just more for show than anything but they really pay, play up that you know kind of heartless executive or advertising executive guy mm -hmm. but this is where you get the whole scene that we've seen in the main version with the fight with the plant except it ends with seymour being eaten alive and then you get the return of the greek chorus and they're in front of an american flag for some reason that i didn't quite understand and i don't know whether that was supposed to be like a reference back to like patent i don't or something know like that because they are kind of describing the great battle and stuff but it's not like a an inspirational thing the way it was with patent so i'm not sure yeah i don't know but the trio is singing about all the events that followed. And the plants were sold all over America. They just proceeded to grow huge and attack people. And that, that got me to thinking, like, did everybody in America just start feeding them from their fingers? Like, cutting their fingers open and feeding them blood? Like, the... I don't see how that could happen because it was like just by chance that Seymour discovered this because the plant couldn't talk at that point. Right. Unless the music, it could, it was pretending not to. One of the chorus line or one of the lines in the the song that the Greek chorus sing or sings was talking about how um, people were tricked into feeding them blood. It doesn't ever say how, but they said that they were tricked. Okay. But then it's, at some point, the blood's not going to be enough, so is everybody just murdering everybody else to feed them to their plants? Because <laughs> these plants grow <laughs> enormous. Oh, yeah. Well, once they get to a certain size, I'm sure they could probably, like, 
start getting people themselves. That's true. You know, you don't have to hide behind it by that point. You know, if you can get a hold of like a small child and then you're able to get one of the parents and or an animal. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But yeah, they grow enormous. They grow outgrow even the size of the original and they're like tromping through the streets like kaiju. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's actually it like the effects at this part are genuinely amazing like if you do nothing else after this podcast go seek out the alternate ending because Mm -hmm. it's amazing yeah they're like flipping cars leveling buildings and one eats an entire train it just like drives straight into its mouth oh that was hilarious (laughs) i love that so much it's like spaghetti (laughs) but this scene lasts a really long time it's really incredible and i think i read that this is where like a lot of the budget went to so it really is a shame that they had to cut it out oh yeah it was a five of of the 25 million dollar budget and i don't know if this was an additional five million well no i guess it probably wouldn't have been of the 25 million dollar budget this made up one-fifth of it because it mm. costs about five million dollars to produce yeah i could see that i'm sure it was probably a huge set of miniatures that was they were using oh yeah there wouldn't have been good cgi at that point and no. this all looked really good. But then you have the military appear. They're trying to fight back, but it's useless. And the final scene of the movie shows them laughing maniacally, climbing the Statue of Liberty. And then it says the end, but then one more bursts through the movie screen itself, seemingly to eat the audience. <laughs> and then that's the end. Yes, that was incredibly cool. Yeah. So even though I really do like the happy ending i also really like the alternate ending too agreed i will say i think that the like you're talking about the end shot or the the kind of destruction of everything going on a long time it did feel a little bit long yeah because i think the reason that it felt long to me is because this also goes back to why maybe it was a good idea to change the ending because at this point you have no more characters from the rest of the movie left. Like, these aren't even Audrey 2. No. Like, these are the other plants. These are Audrey's 3 through, like, 975. Yeah. So you're just watching a whole bunch of characters that you don't know run from a whole bunch of other plants that you've never been introduced to. It's just, you don't care about any of them, like, on a personal level like you did with Seymour and Audrey. Exactly. So... It did end up feeling a little long, even though I totally enjoyed watching all of it. Oh yeah, the effects, I, like the effects, made up for it. Like it was, like it was just a show of what you can do with puppetry, mm-hmm. and not that you don't get that with like Dark Crystal or Labyrinth. This just shows it in such a bombastic way. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's totally worth watching. Oh, hundred percent. I really like it as an alternate ending. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's. Little Shop of Horrors, both yes. the original and director's cut. Yes. We'll never be the same after watching that. <laughs> <laughs> this totally does not feel like a movie that I feel like I would normally like. Like a movie about a guy who's, well, I guess this one, he isn't actually going around murdering people, but about basically death, dismemberment, a man-eating plant. <laughs> it doesn't feel like something I would normally go out and watch, but there's just something about it that I really like a lot oh it's just so much fun and the music is so catchy oh it it is and it's just there's there's so much good in this yes but it's unexpected 
you see the front and you think, okay, you know, movie that's based off of something that happened in the 50s. Eh, you know, but yeah, there is there is so much more than what you expect. Yeah, it's just, it's so weirdly amazing. I, I just, I love it. Oh, yeah. And in the world of, like, you get a lot of musicals that are, not that they're not good, but they're so very straight and stuff. You, this one is just yeah. off the wall and it's next, it's a different kind of experience. Yeah, it is. It's totally different than your average musical. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a, a musical hater. I like a lot of musicals, but this one is, it's so different. I just, I love how off the wall and strange and completely different from anything else it is. Agreed. Well, and I think too, um, even the person that came up with the idea to take the 60s little shop and turn it into a musical, that in itself has such a level of inspiration to it. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would have thought of that as the basis for a musical if I'd even if I'd seen it. So no, agreed. It really was a stroke of genius. Mm, very much. Well, again, the adding of the Greek chorus of, you know, all these different elements that were brought together for it. I just, yeah. Like the only thing that stands out as maybe not the greatest was the lack of like, I just Mushnik for me. I don't know. Like it just, it was missing that bit. But again, that the actor that played him in the sixties version, how do you top that? Yeah. I think the only like negatives I have against this are at least the ones that I'm thinking of right now are just things that I feel like would have been better if they'd incorporated more from the 60s version. (laughs) Oh no, agreed. Very much agreed. Especially just like the weird side characters like the flower eating guy (laughs) and the lady whose relatives are all dying off. (laughs) Even though she did get a mention, which I loved. Well, and honestly, you don't get as much time in the flower shop. Like, the flower shop is a setting, but it's not lived in. Yeah, you you barely even recognize it as a flower shop like you do with the 60s version. Like, it's obvious that the 60s version is set in a flower shop. Oh, yeah. And this one, you don't get that many scenes of them actually working with flowers. Right. Or even just in the shop, like, you see close-up shots of things that happen. But, yeah, overall establishing shots that they're in a flower shop. I mm-hmm. mean, outside of... Um, Audrey doing the um, funeral bouquet for Mrs. Shiva. You really don't, yeah, you really don't get a lot with actual flowers. Mm-hmm. You That's why you need scenes. a flower eating guy. <laughs> yeah. If they do remake this, they need to have a flower eating guy. I think they but should. They gotta. <laughs> <laughs> he's just such a weird character. I, oh, I loved great. how strange he was. Oh, yeah. He totally made, like, favorite character of that movie. <laughs> Like, honestly, he kind of outshined Seymour for that respect. Yeah, kind of. I think my favorite character is probably Seymour's mother, though. She's just well, how could you not love so her? strange. <laughs> I love how many, how many weird lines she has. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me to the chiropractors and faith healers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So of these two, and obviously we've kind of talked through the differences and stuff and the positives and negatives, which one do you prefer? It's it's really hard because they're so good in their own way. I guess, I suppose this version, but only because I love the music so much. That's fair. If, if we're going off script alone, probably the 60s version, because it's just so weird. Oh yeah, I love how many weird lines it has. <laughs> what about you? Uh, see, again, I'm kind of in the same boat you are. Like, 
I adore the music and the cast by and large is so well done in this one. But again, like you say, and I guess just my tastes, I love Roger Corman. I love the stuff that he did in the sixties and the sixties the little shop is just, I didn't know it existed for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So when I found it, it just, it was so weird. And the version I watched was so bad. It just drew me in like nothing else. You mean like it was a bad transfer? Like, yeah, it was just like a really crap. I think it was, where did I watch it? I think it was just on YouTube. Like, so yeah, it was a like a transfer of a transfer. Mm, okay. And even though I do understand the reason why they went with the alternate ending for like the 80s version, I, I don't know. There's just a part of me that I, I like happy endings, but there's so many of them. And mm-hmm. to see things end in that way, and again, it was probably a tad too long, but I, I just, I, all the work that went into that ending oh, and to yeah. see it just put aside for so long and regarded there, it was known about, it's not like it was hidden away, mm-hmm. but to not be able to incorporate more of that, even just in a flashback, like, you know, when um, Seymour and Audrey figure out what's going on. I don't know. I just, it feels, it feels like such a loss, especially for incredible puppetry. Yeah. I'm really glad they decided to put together the director's cut. Oh, yeah. Just to give people a chance to watch it in its full HD glory. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's a thing of beauty. It really is. Yeah. So that's that's, uh, the main Little Shop of Horrors movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you should. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Totally. It's it's so good. Even if you're not into, I guess, horror movies, it's not even really... I guess it has some horror elements, but it's totally worth it, even if you're not, because I'm not usually into horror movies, but there's just something about this that even the horror elements don't deter me. I just love it. Oh, yeah. Well, the music draws you in. It, totally. It's such a, it is a truly unique blend of genre type stuff. Yes. I mean, the the musical, like the, the if you can see it in play format, that's incredible. The 80s musical is incredible. The 60s version is weird and awesome. The extended mm-hmm. bits are are great. I mean, there's no there's no overriding bad of any of this. Mm-hmm. I had someone ask me today, like, what version you should start with, and and I I don't know about you, but I would almost say it's almost better to start with the '60s version. That way, you can see the influences of what hit the '80s version. Would you agree, or is it not that for you? Maybe, I. I think either way could be good because, like, I started with the 80s version. That's true. So, watching the 80s version and then a long time later watching the 60s version, realizing how much weird stuff from the 60s version turned into stuff from the 80s version, and then coming back and watching the 80s version again and finding even more stuff to enjoy, I almost feel like should start with the 80s version and then watch the 60s version and then watch the 80s version again <laughs> no I, I think you make a good point that that actually I hadn't thought about that but yeah that is that is true too definitely don't discount the 60s version i guess no you you should see both they're both so good in completely different ways 100 percent agreed there's something so just the the combination and i said it before and i'm gonna say it again if you're gonna adapt something this was at least in my mind, the right way to do it. It took yeah. all the really good stuff or 90% of the really good stuff from the mm-hmm. 60s version 
and translated it in a different way to a modern for that time version. Yeah. I mean, I have a podcast about different versions of things, so <laughs> I'm I'm one who enjoys seeing different versions of things, but I feel it always works best when you do something different enough that sets it apart from the original thing. Agreed. Instead of just straight up remaking it. Like, yeah. you got to give it some kind of a twist and turning it into a musical is a great twist Mm -hmm. well until next time do you want to let people know where they can find you absolutely so you can find me on youtube at trivial theater and that's uh, theater spelled with an er not an re because generally speaking i am not that fancy and then you can also find me on twitter at trivia underscore chick okay well i will have that linked in the description below and I guess we will see you next time. All right. Looking forward to (laughs) indulging in some really crappy early 90s animation. Yeah. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll see you then. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. And of course, make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access, and we'll see you soon for another brand new episode of the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Every Version Ever.